we're here to celebrate the birth uh, of Jesus. And so we got a wonderful story we've been tracing out over the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, uh, this series, Good News of Great Joy. And we've made it to Luke 2 in our series. And so I started uh, tonight with our kind of call to worship out of that text, and we got to hear about it at the kids' level, and so I get to give a short, hopefully, <laughs> mercifully short talk and, uh, while the kids are hanging around and eating their snacks and uh, doing other things um, like that. But we've been talking about, through this year's good news of great uh, joy, and I'm always on the lookout for um, good news. With, with so much, you know, bad news around circulating in culture, it's just so refreshing when you hear someone sharing good news. I don't know if you, any of you have kids and have watched them dash out of school on that last day, their eyes just beaming with joy and excitement, and it's like, freedom! Um, so much good news there. I don't know if you have any college students. Maybe you are a college student. Most of the college students, it looks like, are gone. Uh, but just to see the joy in the eyes of students who finished up classwork and have finally gotten the good news that they have been released to a couple weeks of break. I've had friends recently get new jobs and been able to celebrate with them. People getting new houses. Um, couples that have been praying for a baby for years and finally God uh, provided um, uh, lots of good news, did lots of weddings this summer. Uh, and so, man, it's just wonderful when you get to hear lots of good news. I think we could all use probably a little bit more good news in our lives um, right now. Some of you may be there feeling the euphoria of much good news, much of the blessings of God in your life, just feeling the smile of God upon you, but others you may feel a little bit on the outside, uh, wondering when the good news is coming your way. You may be feeling the struggle with loss this holiday season, struggles with family, struggle with sickness, infertility, even death. I know I lost my dad this year, a couple back to cancer back in May. Some people this year I know are struggling under the weight of sorrow, right? There's joy, but there's also kind of the way Apostle Paul talks about sorrowful yet always rejoicing, right? Some of us find ourselves in places where it's harder to rejoice. And that's why I love our text for this evening, because it points us to good news of great joy that's for everyone, not just for the fortunate few who happen to get some great news. It's for everyone. So I want to read our text again. Uh, It's Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14. And I just have a few points I want to draw out of that text for us uh, tonight. So Luke chapter 2 and uh, reading verses 8 through 14. And in that same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks. Do that. Let me pray uh, for us. Father, uh, we need to be reminded, God, of all to trace all of the joys in our life, all the good news we've received, to be able to trace that back to you, to celebrate you as the source of all the joy that we receive. And God, where we struggle, where we feel the absence of joy this season, the sadness, the struggle, uh, which is real. God, I pray that you'd meet us with the joy that only you can offer and only you provide. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want you to see in this text is that there is good news for 
everyone, right? Our text unfolds God's heart for absolutely everyone. The angel tells us in verse 10 that they have come to bring good news of great joy to all the people. And in case you're tempted to doubt that this message really is for everyone, um, we've got to notice who this first announcement, who this first good news comes to. As we saw in our children's story, God doesn't send his angelic choirs to a great concert hall or palace, but to a bunch of scruffy old shepherds. Uh, I love this in the Bible, right? Shepherds were nobody, the outcasts, the lowest rung in the social order. They were the forgotten in second and third shift workers, right? Just a bunch of blue collar guys that everyone else had forgotten. But when God wanted to announce his good news of great joy to all the people, he started with the most unlikely people. He started with the shepherds, people who could definitely use some good news. And so this good news of great joy is for all God's people, Um, God wants everyone, all of his people, to be in on it. And by the time we get to verse 31 and 32, that good news is glowing global, not just for God's people, Israel, but for all the nations. So my hope and prayer is if you're here this evening um, or listening over the live stream, that you would be convinced that this is good news for you. God went out of his way to make sure this angelic fanfare came to the least of these first. Um, As we've already saw with Mary back in Luke 152, Uh, the way God works. God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate, right? In God's economy, often the first are last and the last are first. And God wants to extend that good news uh, to everyone, wherever you're coming from tonight. So we've seen who this good news is addressed to, but what is the good news of great joy for all the people? Uh, Let's read on here in verse 11. We see in verse 10, the angel said, If you're not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I love this um, uh, tag here in verse 11. For unto you is born. Uh, One of the commentators said this. He's like, that for unto you is born. It's like the tag on a Christmas present. For unto you. It's like, This is a gift for you, from God to you, like we'd see on a little Christmas present that a child has been born for each and every one of us here. And what is this child going to do? Uh, We see that this child that is born in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, Now, Savior and Christ and Lord are not language we use every day, particularly not in our very democratic, egalitarian world. You know, we're not familiar. These are not everyday words. So let me just highlight them briefly here. What is being born that day in David's city is a Savior. Now, a Savior is simply someone who saves you from your enemies, right? A deliverer, a rescuer, Right? Someone who would rescue you from physical or spiritual danger. Caesar Augustus, the Roman Empire, claimed that he was the savior of the whole world, that he had brought peace to the whole world. And here is another promise of someone who's going to save his people from their struggles, physical and spiritual. Judges, kings, and God himself are called savior. And here in our text, the savior is being born. The second title we see here is the word Christ. Now, Christ is not one of Jesus' proper names. You know, we call him Jesus Christ or something, and we think maybe first and last names, but it's actually a title. It means the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. It was used in the Old Testament to say about prophets and um, also, or priests and kings 
for the special work God had for them. And it came to be understood throughout the Old Testament as the long-expected king who was going to come and deliver God's people. So we have these two titles. We have, uh, first of all, we have the Savior, we have the Christ, and finally the Lord. And again, we don't use the word Lord a lot. You know, we talk about Lord Michael or, or Lord Josh or Lord somebody, right? Lord is just not common language. Maybe if you're watching Downton Abbey or something, we might find some, some royalty, but a Lord is a ruler, a king, someone with authority. It's used predominantly of God in the Old Testament to describe who he is, his very divinity. So we have these three titles here, a Savior, a Christ, and finally the Lord. So we have a Savior King who's going to be God himself in the flesh. And so while this might all sound something like fairy tales, right? This was Israel's national hope that God would send a Messiah to come and rescue them. And while we might not use that kind of language or dismiss these hopes and dreams as being a little too fanciful, we still have a longing for a kingdom, right? In our own time, in our own place, we just happen to look to our politicians left and right and want them to usher in an era of peace and prosperity for us, whether on the right or on the left. And we get really excited about our candidates because we think they're going to provide for us. They're going to usher in this peace. We just don't want like the actual them to tell us what to do. You know, we want them to give us everything we want without any of the strings attached. Uh, Mark Sayers said it like this, and I think I've got the quote, up on the screen, he said, I think that what post-Christianity is and its belief in progress is a desire for the kingdom without the king, right? We, we, we love this idea that there could be a savior and that there could be a Messiah and that there could be a Lord, but, you know, and, and that everything could be made right in our world. Uh, but maybe if you just leave off the, the king part, because that would, you know, that we'd have to actually bow the knee. We'd actually have to humble ourselves, submit ourselves to his loving rule in our lives. We want the peace, we want the stability that a king brings, but we also don't want to bow the knee to Jesus as our king. But this is where the Christmas story takes a very strange twist. Bear with me now, I'm coming in for a landing here. Right? We've seen so far who, right? We've seen who this good news is. It's the news of a king, it's of a savior, it's of a Messiah, the Lord God taking on flesh and blood, but it comes in the most unlikely way. Uh, Let's check last here, verse 12. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Not exactly what you would think. Not exactly what you'd suspect if God were going to send his Savior, a Messiah, the Lord, to come. We would think this king would come, right? In In the palace with power and majesty and authority and great strength, overwhelming power to defeat his enemies, and yet instead we get the message of a little baby born into a cattle feeding trough. It's the most counterintuitive thing we can imagine. His birth is going to fulfill the long-expected promises from the prophets, but it will do so in the most unexpected way, right? Instead of seizing power and safety and comfort, Jesus will be born as a helpless baby. He'll have to flee with his parents as a refugee from his own country, Because of violence from jealous political rivals, he'll grow up in obscurity, swinging a hammer as a carpenter for 30 years. And when he finally begins his three-year ministry, it will be from the margins in in the backwater town of Nazareth. And his own family and hometown won't even believe in him. He won't have his own home. He won't be married. He won't have children. His entire life is going to be dedicated to the mission of his father to seek and save that which was lost. 
And he's going to recruit 12 ordinary guys to advance his kingdom far beyond the borders of Israel. And just as his birth and life were lived out in complete obscurity, he will end his ministry on a Roman cross, giving his life in exchange for ours. But that humble death, like his humble birth, is what forever identifies him with his people. He lived the life that we can never live and died the death we deserve so that we could share in his resurrection life, be a part of his family, and join in his everlasting kingdom. C.S. Lewis put it like this in Mere Christianity. He said, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. This is the good news for everyone who wants it, everyone who is desiring the kingdom, right? Anyone seeking a joy that's deeper than our present circumstances, a joy that cannot be taken away. And so what would it look like us to respond to this joy this evening? The fundamental thing is to entrust ourselves and our lives to this humble king. We want the kingdom without the king because we don't trust people in power, but this king is completely trustworthy. He's not an abusive leader. Here is a king who lays down his life for his people, a true servant leader. Here is a king who suffered in every way as we have yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15. He has suffered in our place so that all of our suffering can ultimately be redemptive. God's ways like his humble birth and his life and death are often mysterious to us, but God brings his everlasting kingdom into the world through a helpless baby. God brings wisdom and maturity through suffering, and ultimately God brings life and salvation out of death. I want to close briefly uh, with a sonnet from Guyton Malcolm, which my friend shared today, which I thought perfectly summarizes this Christmas message that we celebrate together. Guyton Malcolm said this, we think of him as safe beneath the steeple or cozy in a crib beside the font. This is Jesus he's talking about, but he is with a million displaced people on the long road of weariness and want. For even as we sing our final carol, his family is up and on that road, fleeing the wrath of someone else's quarrel glancing behind and shouldering their load, while Herod rages still from his dark tower. Christ clings to Mary, fingers tightly curled. The lambs are slaughtered by the men of power, and death squads spread their curse across the earth. But every Herod dies and comes alone to stand before the Lamb upon the throne. And so as we come into this holiday season, wherever you're coming from, Uh, Whether you're coming into it just experiencing the euphoria of the season and enjoying uh, just the fullness of of life as God has given it, or if you're coming into it in the darkness this season, if this is a season of struggling and brokenness, we have this beautiful opportunity that trust that God is making something beautiful out of the brokenness in our lives and world to hold on to him even tighter in seasons of uncertainty, to trust that the judge of all the earth will do right. If that's something you've never done, we'd love nothing more than to talk to you about how good our king is and what it looks like to follow him. If you are a Christian, Christmas is filled uh, with great carols and hymns, traditions and rituals, presents and practices that help us to revel in the wonder and mystery of God made flesh for us. So whatever your family does this Christmas season, do it all to the glory of God, remembering that he is our deepest and truest source of joy 
this holiday season. So have a Merry Christmas, Redemption City Church, and long live the true King. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at the mystery of God becoming flesh, the God of the universe entering into a cattle feeding trough. God, the way you reverse our expectations. God, the way the God of the universe enters into the world is by making himself small, entering into our, into our suffering and into our sorrows and into our pain. God, all to bring life out of death, bring resurrection out of the grave. God, we acknowledge, God, that this this start in Bethlehem, this baby and a child was born with a mission, God, to seek and save the lost. So I pray that you administer to us as we uh, find our way home, each of us, through this holiday season with the pains, the sorrows, the challenges. God, would you meet us with this good news uh, of great joy? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.